Before I begin the sermon, I must confess, our scripture reading today is a continuation of the larger story of David, going back to the rape of Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. We're going to dig a bit deeper today, and we're going to find the rape of Tamar, and ultimately our scripture reading today shows, highlights the consequences of David's sin, as well as the sin that ran through his household. As Pastor Ed said two weeks ago, while I cannot ignore that this passage is in our Bibles, I also want to be sensitive to those of you for whom this may be a difficult topic. And so I want to apologize in advance if any of my words resurrect painful memories. All right. I've only got about 10 minutes to unpack a thick, challenging text, connect it then to the whole sweeping history of salvation, help you hear what God is saying to you in this text, and unearth how and why it is good news for you in your everyday life. If I go too long, there's a good chance that Pastor Jeff will signal to Dr. Shaner to begin to play the get-out-of-the-pulpit music. So pay attention. For all of you who skipped Sunday school, this is what you need to know. The Lord said to Nathan, the sword shall never depart from the house of David. Or in my contemporary translation, the Lord told Nathan that the you-know-what would never stop hitting the fan for David. Nathan relayed one of those two messages to the king. Because David had sinned, committing adultery with Bathsheba, today we would call that rape, and then ensuring that her husband Uriah would be killed to protect the king's secrets. David would never experience an end to chaos, despair, violence, and death within his own home. There was no amount of cedar lining that could keep at bay what the Lord had promised would fill David's house. And the sword that was promised by the Lord to never leave David's house landed in Absalom's, David's third son's wing of the royal household. David's daughter, Absalom's sister, Tamar, was raped by her half-brother, Amnon. Absalom avenged Tamar by having his servants kill his half-brother after getting Amnon drunk. That sounds familiar, right? Absalom's father, King David, after taking Bathsheba from her home, tried to get her husband, Uriah, drunk to hide David's sins. And ultimately, servants of the king, led by Joab, ensured that Uriah was killed in battle. Absalom was guilty of the murder of a member of the royal family, and so he went on the run. The sword shall never depart from the house of David. It'll never let up David because of what you did. Sin has consequences. Some might say that it's like karma. Years passed, and Absalom was allowed to return home, welcomed home by his father. But peace would not last between father and son. Absalom would seek out power for himself, ultimately declare himself to be king, and drive David from Jerusalem 
to the lands beyond the Jordan River. The sword shall never depart from the house of David. Our text today ends with Absalom, who had betrayed his father and usurped his throne, but who was nonetheless still loved by his father, getting his head caught in the vice of two branches as the signifier of his royal status. A donkey rode on without him. The king's unfaithful but beloved son died, hanging on a tree. That's the story. What exactly are we supposed to do with this? Nearly every commentary I consulted this week suggested choosing a different text to preach on. I considered doing so until Pastor Ed reminded me that this text is in the Revised Common Lectionary for a reason. This part of David's story takes us beyond the Sunday school felt board illustration of meek shepherd David beating mighty Goliath. And this text throws us into the mess and complexity that comes when abuse of power and ambition take our focus from God. This text is difficult to hear and then declare thanks be to God at the end because frankly, there are few redeeming qualities in this story. But that is exactly what makes this story good news. Before I get there though, there are two more Sunday school type things you need to know. Number one, in the law, in the book of Deuteronomy, God declared that anyone who died while hanging in a tree to be cursed. Absalom dies a cursed death by God. This king's unfaithful, sinful, yet loved son dies in a cursed death. And number two, the apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians, this section of the letter, oddly enough, was left out of the revised common lectionary, Paul wrote that Jesus Christ sets us free, all people free from the curse of the law. Christ set us free from the just consequences of our unfaithfulness. By dying on the cross, nailed and hung to a tree, Christ becomes accursed for us. Fleming Rutledge wrote, God in the person of his sinless son put himself voluntarily and deliberately into the condition of greatest accursedness on our behalf and in our place, this mind-crunching paradox lies at the heart of the Christian message. There was. There is no way for us to pay the wage for our unfaithfulness. In his explanatory notes, John Wesley wrote, what is required no person can perform, namely, perfect, uninterrupted, and perpetual obedience. Perpetual obedience to God is something that we have proven time and time again we are unable to do. Don't believe me? Check out this morning's issue of the Washington Post, or tomorrow's, or the next day's. There do not seem to be any redeeming qualities to our text today. And that is because Absalom is all of us 
like Absalom, we betray the Father who loves us in spite of us. Like Absalom, we are not content to be creatures. Instead, we try to usurp our Father's role and authority. Like Absalom, the just wage for our sin is an accursed death upon a tree. And yet, and yet here is the final thing you should know. The big takeaway from the entire Bible. We are like Absalom if Absalom had narrowly avoided the tree and was restored to the father who loves him. And that is because another king's son rode on a royal donkey to a tree. In his body on the tree, on the cross, Jesus Christ suffers the curse that belongs to every David and Absalom, every Goliath for sure, every apostle, every sinner, and every saint. The curse that belongs to you and to me. So it's not just that our sins have been forgiven. It's bigger than forgiveness. The sword departs every one of our, of our houses at the cross. No more does Nathan say it will never let up because of what you did. Sin has consequences, yes, but they have been borne by another for you. Grace is the exact opposite of karma. It's offensive, yes, but it's also amazing. Grace tells us that the way the world is, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is not what God had intended for us. Grace defies the logic we have accumulated from the way the world appears to be ordered. Grace interrupts the just consequences of our unjust actions. We would be in big trouble, every single one of us, if karma got the last word. But grace tells us that in the kingdom of God, we will never reap what we sow. And that's the best possible news we could ever hear, because for my part, I know what I've sown. The grace of God in Jesus Christ says that we do not have to lean, we do not have to rely on our own religiosity. Chances are, your family is not as messed up and sinful as David and Absalom. But I've been a pastor long enough. I've counseled enough of you to know that your family's story, your stories, are close, and that none of your family's story is perfect. I've been in a family long enough to know that no family's story is perfect. I've been locked up with my family for the last 18 months to know that no family's story is perfect. Jesus' own family was not perfect, far from perfect. So hear this good news. You have been set free from the curse. As Karl Barth put it, God's judgment is executed. God's law takes its course, but in such a way that what we had to suffer is suffered by Christ Jesus. Since he was left out of the revised common lectionary, the Apostle Paul gets the last word. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
in order that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen.